All right, I think we're going now. Well, what is God up to? You know, last Sunday was the beginning of the season that we call Advent in the church. Some of you grew up with that uh, tradition, and some of you didn't grow up with that tradition. And this Advent was set up in the early centuries of the church as a time for the Christian community to focus on hope. Hope and preparation. And there was no, it looks at the Old Testament and how God prepared the people for the coming of Christ in Bethlehem. All those wonderful uh, messianic promises that are back there. That was a long time that took. And then also uh, it focuses on Jesus' promise to return. So we set aside a little bit of time at this particular time of the year when the darkness is kind of closing in on us to think about waiting. Is waiting easy? No, waiting is not easy. And, and preparing and, and getting ready and thinking about what the Lord has called us to do. So during this season of Advent, we remember the Old Testament believers who wait, waited so patiently during all those years for the Messiah to be revealed. And we celebrate. We prepare to celebrate his birth on Christmas Eve. And we look forward to his promise that he's going to be coming back. And Jesus told us again and again, be ready because you don't know at what time I'm going to return. So don't just give up and quit. Be ready. You know, Advent, this, this season here, this next few weeks, and by the way, Scott asked me to talk a little bit about Advent, and he wanted to be here, but on Thursday, he got sick, and uh, so he called me on the phone, uh, and he said, John, I realize it's a little short, you know, but can you come down and, and help us out? And I thought, I'm always honored to help you out, Scott, always honored. So yeah, I'll be there. And it was about 40 miles an hour through the canyon tonight coming down here, but I made it. So do we have any Christmas procrastinators among us tonight? Yeah. You know, some people, man, they're getting ready for Christmas in July. You know, they're finding bargains and stuff like that, just tucking in the away. I grew up with, with five kids in the family. Mom didn't have any place to hide presents, so she could never get away with that. But then there are others that never get around to buying anything for Christmas until, like, Christmas Eve at 4 o'clock, you know. So, yeah. Well, it, it's time to get in gear, and that's what Advent is about. Getting in gear for what the Lord is going to do for us. That's what Jesus said. Wake up. Wake up. Stay alert. Watch for your redemption is drawing near. And we need to always remember that. That Jesus told us, keep watch. Your redemption is drawing near. It's coming in. I think about at the airport on a, on a winter's night, you know, in the evening, late evening when it's dark, and you look out there and you see those big planes coming in. And you can see if it's a clear night, 
you can see them out there for 30 miles. And there'll be five of them lined up out there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's what God's promises are like. His promises are lined up out there, and they're coming. And we're waiting. And sometimes that waiting is hard. But His promises are coming. Our word for the day is hope. Hope. And I want to begin with a question for you to ponder over the next week or two. What is God up to tonight? What is God up to as we begin this season of Advent? As we're beginning to do our preparations for Christmas Eve and all of that kind of stuff, what's God doing? What is God preparing for? What's God hoping for? I think that's worth considering and maybe talking about. I'll, I'll, let's think back about the earliest Christmas memory that you have in your life. I don't know how old you were. You know, four, five, six, seven. Now what's the earliest Christmas memory that you have? And what were you hoping for? You know, I can't imagine what that's like now, but I know what it was like for me back in the days when I was a little boy, which is getting to be farther and farther back there. There were things called Sears and Roebuck's catalogs, that Montgomery Ward catalogs, and Penny's catalogs, and they were about that thick. And there were pictures, colored pictures in there of every kind of toy and every kind of thing. Anybody here old enough to remember that? And we would spend hours, hours in those catalogs. It's just not the same looking at your phone. <laughs> it's not the same. And we would hope, uh, we would anticipate, and we would think about that. Well, at our house on Christmas morning, we all had to stay in bed. Like I said, there was five of us, and my twin brother and I were the oldest. And we had to wait for the signal. And the, the signal back in those days was a firecracker that my dad had saved from the last 4th of July. Back in those days, you only shot fireworks on the 4th of July. You didn't shoot them any other time during the year. But Dave would, dad would always save a firecracker. And then at 7 a.m. on Christmas morning, it was really old-fashioned. We didn't get to open our presents until Christmas morning, you know. So he would light that firecracker in the threshold of the front door. Bam! And all five of those kids would be up like a shot. And we're, we're uh, bouncing around in our pajamas. And, and, but Mom had it all organized. First, we had to open our stockings. Because we all had stockings. We didn't have a fireplace, but we pinned them to the Davenport. <laughs> there was an orange, and there was some candy, and there was some nuts, and little things like that in there. And we could look in our, in our sock and all that, but we had to eat that orange before we get to open any presents. And, and then Mom had us all lined out about who got to open the present first and second and all that kind of jazz. Okay, do you remember that? One thing I never considered at the time, do you suppose that our parents were as anxious for Christmas morning as we were? I think so. 
they had spent all that time buying those gifts and and lots of times things were kind of tight so they had to sacrifice a little bit then they had to hide those gifts somewhere so those five kids couldn't find them you know when uh, when they weren't supposed to to find them were they as hopeful as we were about those presents that they had purchased for us were they hoping that we would we would like them that we would enjoy them i think so so why wait I mean, why wait? Why, why don't we just say, okay, let's just dispense with all that waiting. Let's just get it over with. Here's your stupid present. Why, why wait? What's so important about waiting, hoping, anticipating for that special moment to arrive? And is God in heaven this afternoon anxiously anticipating the right moment for Jesus' return, for Jesus to come back. The Bible says that the angels are anxious for the fulfillment of the ages, for Jesus' return. I think God must be anxious too. It seems that there is something very holy, very holy, about waiting because it's connected with God waiting is a gift that comes from God there's something holy about waiting for both the gift giver and the gift receiver are, are you with me here or am I by myself yeah the Bible has a special word for that it's called kairos. Kronos is how you tell time, okay? That's where the clock is at. But kairos is that special moment, that exact time, perfect timing. Paul picks that up in, in his letter to the Galatians. He says it this way. When the time had come, that's the kairos moment, that moment planned in all of history, for right then, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And we experienced that as, as Christmas morning, Bethlehem. How long had God's people waited? Well, it was 2,000 years from Abraham's promise to that time. That's a long time, 2,000 years? So what was God doing during those 2,000 years? Just hanging out, you know, taking a trip to Big Sky to go skiing. What was Jesus doing? What was the Holy Spirit doing? During those 2,000 years, were they procrastinating? Hard to think about God procrastinating, isn't it? Or were they preparing? Were they preparing a gift just for you? I love the song you guys just got done singing about God's always working. He's always working, preparing, always thinking about us. Well, how about now? How, what's Jesus been up to for the last 2,000 years since he left? Remember, he told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Remember that? 
He's been working. He also told them that he's going to be praying for them and praying for us every day as we work and as we wait for his return. Do you think Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are as anxious for Jesus' return as we are for his return? Yes. Yes. The Bible says they are. Well then, why wait? What's he doing? It should make things a lot more simple if he just, if he just came. Well, first of all, God knows what he's doing. His timing is perfect. And that makes hoping and waiting a very holy thing. It makes it a worship exercise. Hoping and waiting. God is hoping and waiting. And we are hoping and waiting. That makes it a very holy thing to do. Our hope is not rooted in wishful thinking. It's rooted in concrete reality laid on the foundation and the promises of God's word and the integrity of who he is. I love what Paul wrote in, in, uh, first, in 2 Corinthians 1.20. He says, All the promises of God have their yes in Jesus Christ. All of them. Maybe we should do some research this year into the promises of God. And write them down on, put them on the refrigerator. These are God's promises to us. So that when we get discouraged and when we get overwhelmed and we get impatient, we can look back at those promises. God is never late. And he's never too early. And those promises will come, just like those airplanes coming in. They will come at the right time. You know, there, there are children, I hope you weren't one of them, who grow up with bad parents, who delight in lying to their children and breaking their promises to their kids to destroy their children's hope. And they claim that they're doing something good. See, I told you never to trust anybody. How wicked. How wicked that is. And if you experienced that as a child, that was wrong. Whoever did that to you was very wrong. We can forgive them, but don't let them control you. They were wrong. Most parents aren't like that. Most parents do their very best to keep their promises, and they seek to build hope and trust in their children's hearts by keeping their word. And they teach their children to trust, and they teach their children to wait by disciplining themselves to trust and wait. What they call it? Delayed gratification? That's holy. That's holy, and it's good. Here's what the Bible says about hope. Psalm 33, David tells us, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save you. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine, in the tough times, to hang on to the hope that they placed in God. 
David says, we wait, we wait in hope for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, and we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest on us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Real hope, real hope, the good stuff, is found in Christ alone. Everything else in this world is shifting sand and will change from day to day. You know, when things are going great, our bank account is full, we're healthy, our relationships are strong, death seems far away, and it's easily to, easy to shift our hope from God to the gifts that God has given to us. And so sometimes the hard times and the tough stuff is there to remind us our hope is in God alone, not in all these other things. Sometimes it's only after we've lost all these things that were so precious that, and are left with only the Lord that, that we discover He's all that I really needed after all. You know, one of the most cherished Christmases of my childhood was after my dad last lost his job. He, he got phlebitis thrombosis, and there wasn't a whole lot they could do about it back in those days. And the medicine that he had for it made him even sicker. And he was at home, laying on the Davenport. And there was no income, and it appeared no Christmas that year. You know, up to that point, every Christmas there was always a big pile of trees, or a big pile of trees, a big pile of presents underneath that tree with five kids at home. But that year there were none. Maybe one little present each. That was it. And it ended up being one of the best Christmases of all because our hope was moved from those those gifts that all break and the batteries wear out and to the one who is always there for us, the gift giver, Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells a story of how he learned this truth in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. He said this, We don't want you to be uninformed about the hardships that we suffered when we were in Asia. We were under great pressure, beyond our ability to endure. We despaired even of life itself. We were hopeless. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. So on him, we have set our hope. Paul wrote later, this was, I don't know, 10 years later in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith in Jesus, we have peace, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our, in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Romans, uh, or excuse me, Hebrews 10 says it in another way that I paraphrase. 
Hope is hanging in there when the going gets tough, impossible, and nothing is making any sense. Why? Because God is faithful and Jesus is here. Those planes are coming. Can you see them out there? They're coming. So what do we hope for this Advent season? Well, I don't know about you, but we hope for Jesus' return, do we not? Wouldn't that be a great and glorious day? But until that day, what do we hope for? Well, I would say the salvation of the world, the salvation of our friends. Definitely. That God's perfect love would drive out fear. There's so much fear in our world, isn't there? That his love would come and drive out fear. That it would swell shrunken hearts. How about light to overcome darkness and ignorance? Absolutely. How about corruption to be revealed and cleansed away? Absolutely. The lost to be found. But how about peace? How about God's peace? That's not just absence of conflict. That's God's peace, his shalom. Our nation has become overwhelmed by fear and bitterness and, and division. Is there anything that can soften hardened, bitter hearts? That can forgive sins, give us hope, and bring us scattered back together again? Yeah, his name is Jesus. That's why we're here. And he is at work. He's at work. And his kingdom is coming. Can you see him? Can you see him coming in? It's coming. Be patient. It's coming. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. The Kairos moment of his return is coming soon. The Lord is getting ready. The Lord is in heaven getting ready. And we should be getting ready too. So brothers and sisters, the Lord who created you, has sustained you, has forgiven you through all these years, he has a fresh basket full of presents just for you. Underneath the, tra- underneath the tree with your name on it. Underneath the tree. And he's so anxious for you to open up those gifts and enjoy them and share them for the rest of your life or until he returns. And there's nothing in the world that can compare with the gifts that he brings. But we need to open them and treasure them and use them. Gifts like hope and love and joy and peace. Gifts that the world so desperately needs. They're only found in Jesus. Only found in Jesus. The Bible warns us that things in this world aren't going to get any better. In fact, the Bible tells us that before Jesus' return, things are going to get a lot worse. So don't be surprised. Satan knows his time is very short. But we don't have to be afraid. Because everything that we need to deal with that, whatever may come our way, is already ours in Jesus Christ. Already bought and paid for on the cross. Already under the tree with our name on it. So what is God up to this Advent season? 
as we're waiting to celebrate his birth. He's preparing. He's getting ready to welcome you home. And he's busy every day protecting you, loving you, providing for you, praying for you until that great Christmas morning when he truly returns. See, heaven is a busy place. It's a very busy place. And the Lord is anxiously waiting and working and preparing for that great and final day when he'll call his people back together again. Won't that be a day? He's rolled up his sleeves, and we should do the same. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are busy. You are busy preparing for your return. You are busy preparing a place for us in paradise. You are tirelessly working to reach the lost of our broken world. And you've invited us to participate in that, to joyfully, expectantly, hopefully work alongside you as we wait for that final day. So show us today specifically what you want us to do because we want to be faithful servants, watchful, prepared, and busy with your work on that, day, on that great day when you return. We ask in your name. Amen. Can we stand and say